Hi, my name's Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Tuesday, the 13th of June. Very much the return of the Prodigal Zombie podcast. Um, as some of you will know, um, my wife had a second child, a little girl who's very happy and healthy. Uh, but uh, as a result, for the last few weeks, I've been taking a bit of a break. Um, and if I sound um, a little bit like a zombie during this podcast, you'll have to forgive me. This may go on for some weeks, but uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm not feeling too bad today. Now, uh, apologies then to everyone who has been waiting for the next show. This is it, um, and it's a good one. Um, it features a, a series of interviews at an event I went to towards the end of April uh, with some interesting entrepreneurs and experts in uh, intellectual property and funding, uh, venture capital. So I think you'll find it interesting. Also, an awful lot to catch up on in terms of uh, listener feedback and comments, so I will get straight to it. But first, as some of you will be aware, um, the I've been updating the Small Biz Pod uh, blog and website, so uh, there's a lot more information, and I think it's a, a lot more easy to find previous shows by topic. Um, you can search for shows, um, listen to favourite shows of uh, all the most popular shows by download um, all sorts of things um, which I hope you'll find interesting and useful just gives a little bit more background than was on the original site um, I really like it um, let me know if you if you think so too um, now uh, on straight away to uh, comments and um, in no particular order I had a, a comment from David George uh, who I believe is in Wales, I'm not sure. I said, I just want to say I love the show and I'm on the Frapper map. I'm just about to start studying my GCSE in business studies. On your question of what is an entrepreneur, well, by dictionary, it's a person who organises and operates. Also, for a new episode, would you be able to show how to plan a business, i.e. writing a business plan, how to carry out research, etc., even if it means extending it over multiple shows? I feel this would be beneficial to current entrepreneurs and people thinking of becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, well, thanks, David, for that. You'll remember if you uh, listened to the last show in the dim and distant past where there was a brief discussion or I discussed with myself and um, one or two others the uh, the meaning of entrepreneurship. So thanks for adding to that. And I think the conclusion I've come to is that uh, I'm going to put together a podcast dedicated to that debate. So uh, stay tuned, as it were, for that. Um, in terms of uh, business plan, I, I think that's a good idea, David. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I might actually do or produce as a separate feed uh, off the the, the blog um, so that people can subscribe to that series separately. So thanks for inspiring the idea and also um, offering to help. And good luck with your GCSEs when they come around. Now, uh, I had a, a long email from uh, Bob at Backpacking Light who says, I just listened to show number 25, wanted to share with you a few thoughts. Um, as you know, Backpacking Light, at Backpacking Light, we output information experiences of those who get out more. It's a, basically a, a podcast for uh, outdoors types. Um, and the latest figures are getting very interesting with over 60,000 downloads and feedback from all over the world. And uh, Bob goes on to talk about um, how... Uh, you develop a sort of personal connection with your listeners through podcasting and how that can, um, you know, help uh, your profile and your business in, in Bob's case. 
Um, and he, he concludes by saying, um, in particular, I'd love to hear interviews with those who have somehow made the step between a very busy small business to a much larger corporate stage and, and vice versa. Um, so uh, another idea for a show there. And uh, it's just a question of uh, that's an unusual way to go, to go from, a big, from a, running a small business into a corporate world. Uh, very often happens the other way around. But um, certainly look into that, Bob. And thanks for your email, which I, I haven't read out in full, but uh, I hope I've got the the gist of it there. Um, also had an email from Mike Jump, who says, uh, just discovered Small Biz Pod via an article in a magazine. Uh, was it Director? Uh, yep, it was Mike. Uh, the Director magazine, which is uh, the magazine of the Institute of Directors in the UK, kindly uh, interviewed me and uh, highlighted Small Biz Pod as uh, one to watch. So that was really, really cool. So thanks for that. And thanks to everyone who uh, fed back having read that, um, including Anne-Marie McEwen and some others. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Um, uh, Mike goes on, I was very interested to hear your contributor talking about his exporting success. You may be interested in following the link to part of our website, which aims to give a bit of background info to companies thinking about expo exporting. Uh, I look forward to downloading the next podcast. By the way, you were ruminating on how when people listen to podcasts. I have a train journey to London most mornings, so I download my podcast once a week on my MP3 player and catch up with them all on the train in the mornings. Uh, I think, Mike, that is uh, the ideal way to listen to a podcast. Um, I don't commute as I used to, um, and I quite enjoy getting on trains now and going up to London if I need to because uh, it does give me a chance to catch up. So regular commuting um, has its benefits after all. You can you can listen to those podcasts. And, of course, these days you can plug something into your car stereo. So even if you're driving to work, uh, there's a possibility to listen then. So um, that's good. I'll put a link to the information on exporting or the advice on exporting into the show notes as usual so you can check that out. I've had a look, and it, it looks actually really, really helpful. So thanks, Mike, for that. Now, on a small business forum in the UK, uh, I had um, a, a note from uh, David Rose, um, who's producing a, or, or writing a book describing the lifestyle and human interest aspects of being an entrepreneur. Um, it'll be a compilation of stories and anecdotes provided by real entrepreneurs who are just starting out, uh, still building their enterprises, or have sold up and retired. Um, and basically, he's asking whether or not people would be interested in being interviewed for that book. Um, it'll explore uh, and project the humour, despair, exaltation and real-life personal impacts of the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Uh, again, I will leave uh, details of how to get in touch with David Rose if you're interested in potentially being involved with that book um, and his contact telephone number as well. Um, so thanks for David for that, and I, I hope people get in touch. Um, oh, another another email from David George, really just saying where's the next show, um, but also asking about recruitment and laws on recruitment in the UK. Again, we covered recruitment not so long ago, but we well, yeah, I think maybe again a, a, a topic to come to. I mean, there's just so much to cover. Uh, that, uh, yeah, uh, thanks, David, and, and we'll certainly look into doing that. And then finally, uh, in terms of email comments, David Brazil, 
who says, I've been listening to the podcast for a while now and I find them very interesting and enjoyable. Glad to hear you coming back. I was beginning to wonder what had happened to you. Um, I like the new site design, by the way, nice and clean. And what a great way to make me notice the new design, getting my podcast aggregator to suddenly download all of your previous episodes. Or maybe that wasn't intentional. Maybe that was just juice playing silly buggers. Uh, yeah, if anyone's out, out there has suddenly had a massive surge of small biz pod content, which is basically all the old shows downloaded again, very many apologies. Um, when I set up the new site and transferred everything across to a new server, I kept the same feed with FeedBurner. This is all a bit techy, but those into podcasting will, will kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, and I really wasn't anticipating, because the feed was the same, their uh, aggregators downloading everything again, but um, many of them did. So apologies if I um, uh, ruined your bandwidth for the month. Um, won't happen again because this is the the new site is the new home and uh, uh, so that should be okay um david goes on to say i'd like to hear more in future podcasts about the use of it in small business and particularly some of the new web applications i'm thinking of things like Basecamp, fresh books and campaign monitor um and david goes on to say that he's a, a freelance it consultant um who's certainly found FreshBooks and Skype very useful in my business, and I'd certainly concur as far as Skype's concerned. Um, maybe you've also covered these subjects. Um, I'll soon find out when I finish downloading your back catalogue. Uh, well, I haven't, but uh, I am planning an interview with um, Sage and also with the people involved with Basecamp um, and Word, uh, what's it called, Rightly, and a few of the online um, web application style services that may be of interest to small businesses. So again, another brilliant idea for a show. Sparked some thoughts, uh, getting interviewees lined up um, as I speak. Well, almost. Right, that's the end of the email uh, box for the moment. Um, I will come back at the end of the show to uh, a few shout-outs for all those who've signed up to the Frapper map. Uh, 115 now so thank you all very much for that now you'll remember that uh, I went on the road with my microphone to uh, attend a business seminar run by Business Scope put on by Gifty Enright who's uh, a great woman um, and uh, very talented and it was a good good evening I enjoyed it lots uh, didn't get to interview the shadow small business minister who was uh, running a bit late but uh, I will catch up with him another time uh, but I did manage to contact or, or speak to a number of entrepreneurs and business experts there whilst I was there. Um, and I started with um, Elaine Gold, who has just set up a new franchise. And she has some interesting things to say about the uh, challenges um, and ways in which she's succeeded in setting up a, a new franchise based around um, healthy lifestyle. So... Um, I know there's been a lot of demand for uh, another show on franchising, so here's a little snippet which I hope will give some insight that will be useful to anyone looking at becoming a franchisor or indeed a franchisee. Okay, so uh, I'm at the, the uh, Business Scope uh, seminar and it's been an interesting evening uh, here in St Albans and I'm with Elaine Gold from Wiseweight, uh, which has just recently franchised uh, itself or the, the idea and the concept and, and I thought it'd be interesting to to have a sort of real world view of, of what it's like actually having the idea and then getting it franchised so um, Elaine tell us a little bit about uh, how you 
how you went about that? Yeah, well, as you say, it's, a, it's one thing having the idea, it's <laughs> getting it out there. So we've really been through two iterations of developing the franchise model. From the original idea that myself and my partner developed, where we were working with clients and having a lot of success in helping them to lose weight, and importantly, to keep the weight off without dieting, because that's really what we're about. And in terms of leveraging the business, franchising, licensing seemed to be the way to go. So about... Three years ago, we did an initial pilot uh, and we had seven franchisees, um, fortunately, on a one-year contract while we tested the model, which was a great learning curve for us because it taught us all so many things. I mean, it taught us that we could train other people and they could have success with clients using the model we developed. But we also learned a lot about what that meant for rolling out the franchise. Um, yeah. So... From those seven, what we found is that they loved doing the one-to-one work with clients, but they were having difficulties in selling and marketing. So that made us stop, review, and look at the model again. Okay, so I mean... in terms of the idea itself, it is a it is a, 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 a weight loss idea, but but not a sort of fad diet idea. It's more presumably more about I don't know exercise and and, and healthy eating. Would that be right? It's a whole lifestyle program, so it very much involves healthy eating. It involves increased activity, but primarily it's around changing the emotional mindset that goes along for a lot of people that causes them problems and and from a sort of practical business point of view when you when you franchise that idea out is that for individuals to then go out and and, and sell it as it were to uh, you know potential customers or or, or are there little um, groups of people who, who work together how who, who, who are the who are the who are your ideal franchisees as it were yeah well that's where the second iteration came in because um, we want to develop Wiseweight into an international brand uh, and so f- therefore finding people who were good at selling and marketing Wiseweight was key to us so the new business model is based around uh, a physical practice so we have a first tier franchisee now who is if you like a practice manager who is much more a business person um, has sales and marketing experience and is very concerned about developing the business and growing the business in their area and then underneath them there is a second tier franchisee who would be the person who's seeing the clients on a face-to-face basis and that's the change really. Okay, and one of the other things I know that that sometimes concerns franchisees and also worries franchisors is putting a value on your idea in terms of um, how much a franchisee is going to pay you and and what products and services and support you will provide them in return. Um, without you know going into to, to the specific details, I mean, how did you how did you work out what was a good going rate, as it were, for your for your concept? Yeah, I mean that took a lot of um, in-depth analysis, a lot of trial and error, and a, and a lot of evaluation. I mean, I have to say we we did after the first trial period, the first pilot, 
one of the things we learned is that we needed further expert consultancy support with that. And yeah. we have worked with a, a number of consultants who've helped us to get the current model right. Yeah. Uh, but basically, we're very pleased to be working with our current franchisees and what we're doing is doing a lot of the sales and marketing work for them so part yeah. of our package is not just the program it's a marketing plan it's an advertising campaign it's the PR yeah that's what we deliver with yeah. our franchisees and I, I mean I my my experience and general impression is that when you're a franchisee looking for a franchisor it's that kind of additional support that's really really vital you need to you need to know that you're you're not just going to be left in the lurch having paid up your, your sum up front yeah I mean that's always been our intention to have a kind of upside down model for yeah. a franchise so that all the effort goes on supporting the franchisees because if they're not successful none of us are going to be yeah. successful so that's what the is. Elaine, thank you very much. I then had an opportunity to speak to Jeffrey Pym from Beer and Partners, uh, the UK's largest business angels network, and I asked him why is it that small businesses very often don't consider angel funding as a source of potential finance. There's a lot of uh, misconception. People see business angels as potentially people who will come in and take over their business and tell them what to do when they've spent many years uh, sweating blood building up their business and they think they're going to give that away. Um, the truth of the matter is that a lot of business angels have gone through the same process, they've built up their own business, they've then exited, that's where they've made their, their money, and they're looking to put back into businesses not just money but also their business know-how and often their, their contact base in it is one of the most important things is being able to open doors for people, uh, which when you're a small business you probably wouldn't be able to, uh, to open. Um, and at the end of the day, they don't want to be working full-time in the business. They want to be involved for maybe one, two, three days. And if they were to own 60, 70, 80% of the company, we would say to them, look, that means you're actually running the company. You don't really want to do that. And you actually want to leave a large enough carrot for the entrepreneur because if they've got that carrot, they will want to make themselves wealthy. And in doing so, they'll add to your wealth. So I think one of the biggest concerns, as you say, is, is, is perhaps not um, giving up control in terms of the, the advice, but giving up control in terms of the, the share and the, the, the value of the, the, the business itself, giving up, giving up equity to, to, to that extent. Um, I know it's difficult to generalise, but, uh, but in your experience, what is a, is a sort of typical equity split? or? or uh, Generally speaking, well, it depends on the stage of the business and obviously the amount of money that's being invested. But we would generally be talking to um, investors about taking an equity share of somewhere between about 20 and about 49%. Um, they don't really want to, uh, to control the company um, and therefore it's important that uh, they recognise that they don't need to own the majority of shares um, to protect themselves. Um, if you talk to good commercial lawyers they will tell you that you can do it through a shareholders agreement um, and that provides uh, necessary protection so consequently yeah between 20 and, and 49 percent is, is probably typical. I mean in terms of you know your your role as I suppose uh, an intermediary between the investor and the small business um, what kind of support do you do you give to the businesses that are looking for the funding in the first place? A lot of it is is coaching them with regard to how to present their business plan because most people come to us with uh, 
a good business idea. Um, they've already got a business plan, but the business plan needs to be directed at the audience for which is intended. Um, many serious business angels receive so many business plans that they will look at the executive summary, which needs to be really punchy. Um, because basically if you haven't grabbed their attention by the bottom of the first page and definitely by the end of the second page, they'll just put it to one side and move on. And um, some people may think, well, what's the difference between venture capital and, and, and business angels? So, so, so what is the difference? Uh, venture capital tends to be more larger scale uh, financing, often uh, arranged through venture capital trusts or funds. Um, it tends to focus on larger businesses uh, because those funds are investing other people's money and therefore they need to undertake a certain amount of due diligence. They're looking for a reasonable amount of proven track record because they're wanting to back winners. Whereas business angels are very much looking at the high risk end um, of the spectrum, very much startups, early stage growth, where there's probably a very good idea. Um, it may or may not be tested in terms of proof of concept. It's never perhaps been tried in the marketplace before. Um, and therefore, because they're investing their own money, they can decide to invest in whatever business they choose and also undertake whatever level of due diligence they uh, they desire, um, which can be more or less than the, uh, uh, the various venture capital funds, uh, but just gives them greater flexibility. Okay, so um, finally, just to, 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 to cap it all off, Dragon's Den, has it done your business a favour or, uh, or a disservice? It's done uh, the business angel sector a favour in that it's raised the profile of business angel investment. Um, from, I suppose, a negative point of view, it could have actually... Uh, frightened a few entrepreneurs um, in that uh, they'll come face to face with these investors and basically be torn to shreds. Um, from Beer and Partners perspective it actually emphasises the, uh, the need to come and talk to someone like Beer and Partners because we stand in the place of the investor, ask all those awkward questions, challenging you on your uh, business idea, your marketing strategy, the financials, making sure you really understand the proposition that you're putting forward. So when you actually do get in front of a real live investor, um, you actually give it your best shot um, because you never know the investor you're talking to might be the ideal investor for you. But if you blow it, you won't get a second chance. And the worst thing you can do, and I think it's been shown on um, the Dragon's Den, the moment you lose credibility, it's nigh on impossible to actually get it back. So um, good business but not so good TV, which is the right way around. I then had a, an interesting conversation with Sarah Staines from uh, Sherrard's, who are a, a solicitor's firm, about how to structure a business um, in order to protect um, and get the best value from your intellectual property. Okay, well, uh, there's, there's lots of different ways you can structure the business to make it uh, more flexible for any future growth or development or sale. Uh, but one of the ways in which I would recommend is looking at separating the ownership of intellectual property uh, from uh, the trading arm of the business. And that would then take it out of the risk area and uh, enable you, if there was some unforeseen incident with the trading company, you could then hive back into the IP ownership company 
and uh, uh, start again right? because you'd still own all of those assets whereas if you did not do that then they go off with the company into liquidation or where when it ceases trading you can't just slide intellectual property across you have to actually formally assign it from company to company or mm -hmm. within the group yeah. um, but there's lots of ways you can actually do that you can have a holding company which then has uh, subsidiary wholly owned subsidiary companies which can be the trading company and an intellectual property owning company okay. and one of the reasons uh, why you would do that is because it's then easier to sell the shares in the holding company and perhaps hive off the intellectual property owning company into a completely separate area, a separate ownership and then you can then license the intellectual property down to that main company. Right? Yeah. Um, and um, so you get more opportunity to actually make money and exploit the intellectual property. Otherwise, if you put it into the holding company, when you sell the shares in the holding company, you're also selling the trading companies, but in addition, you're selling the intellectual property. Yeah. Quite often, someone will really want that intellectual property, and therefore it becomes part of the value. But you can actually say, we've ring-fenced this, we know how much this is worth, and so therefore, if you want to buy this, it's in this separate company, and so therefore you'll have to pay us X amount more. And so it, it gives you that flexibility. You can sell it when you go for the eventual sale or, or when you're financing, or you can retain it for yourself and then license it down, give yourself a nice little pension. Excellent. Just two further very quick questions. Um, how early in, in a sort of business cycle, I mean, if you're a startup um, or an early, early stage business, is it worth thinking that far in advance um, to, to structure the business like that from the outset if you have the, you know, the, the, the potential value in, in intellectual property in the first place? It's very important to think early about this. I wouldn't necessarily say right at the start, but you have to have a progression plan for your intellectual property because there are tax consequences um, of moving intellectual property at any stage. Once it gets a value, uh, then it has a taxable value too. And I'm sure your accountants or your um, tax advisors will be able to give you information about what's best for you personally. Um, but any movement of intellectual property at a later stage can be costly and so therefore it is much better to think about it early on even if you just put it into your own personal name and then license that down to the company you know particularly if you're currently a sole trader or a partnership and you're looking at incorporating um, you know you, you need to look at how best to uh, where to place the intellectual property and how best to manage that intellectual property at that very early stage um, because of the loss of value you would incur later on. Do you only lose value once you have attributed a value to that, that intellectual property through, through flotation or through um, registration of, 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 a, of a trademark or a... No, I mean, as soon as you start selling product or services under a trade name, mm. even if you haven't registered that trade name yet, then um, you know you are looking at it having a value. Um, it's very difficult to actually pinpoint that value, and there mm. are you know specialist accountants who spend their whole lives just doing that. Mm. Um, but yes, it, it does have a value as soon as you start trading by using that mark or. or whatever uh, you know registering trademarks is a very UK only is a very cheap way of mm. getting excellent protection 
Um, just one further quick question. I know you're it's getting towards the end of the evening, and I know you're, you're off um, shortly. Um, examples of businesses that could benefit from thinking about those intellectual property areas, other than you know registering your trademark, you have a you have a, you have a, a property there which is sort of intangible. Um, do, does every business have IP? Um, absolutely, every single business who trades has IP. I have uh, charities who are on my books and who rely on me for intellectual property advice. Um, I have not-for-profit companies. I have companies in the retail sector. I have companies um, uh, who provide services only. Um, you know. So it, it's, it's not about... Um, <clears throat> I think some people might, might think that it's, uh, you know, you, you've got to sort of invent something unique. It's not about unique things that where you have to protect intellectual property. It is, it is more about protecting those, um, in the, the, uh, the image and some of those intangibles that, that represent your business. Yes. I mean, it's what makes your company or your business what it is. It's what makes it unique. It's what makes people buy your product. So there you are. Um, I think quite a lot of interesting advice and, and things to ponder on from uh, that seminar uh, organised by Gifty Enright from Business Scope. I've got an interview with Gifty, and uh, I'll be playing that in a, a future show. Uh, and it, uh, the reason for that is that I've got to speed on. We're approaching my half-hour mark, and there's still a lot to get through. Um, so, quickly, on the old Frapper map, we were just below 100, and now we're 116, I think. So thank you all for those of you who have uh, made yourselves known on the Frapper mat, if, if you look at the uh, new site, uh, www.smallbizpod.co.uk, in the top right-hand corner, under subscribe, you'll see a little Frapper icon, so you can add your pin in the uh, Small Biz Pod Frapper map if you wish. Um, and since last time, as far as I remember, we've got uh, just to run through them quickly and just to say hello to Edward Kay from Bath in England, uh, Richard Banks from uh, Cary in uh, North Carolina in the US, uh, David George, who commented earlier, and he is indeed from Wales in Newport, uh, Matthew Marshall, our first listener from Malta, uh, David Cruikshank, uh, Joel Hasnut from Holland... Adrian Pepper, who I happen to know, well, I don't really know him personally, but I live in Kent, and uh, Adrian writes quite regularly for the Kent Messenger, a local newspaper on various business issues, so uh, glad you're listening, Adrian. Do give us a plug in the paper when you get a chance. <laughs> um, Finn from Bristol, David Anderson from Falkirk in Scotland, um, Elwyn Price from Arlington in Texas, and it's either Elwyn, I think, or James Kennedy from Dublin, who were or are the hundredth person people to sign up to the Frapper map. So I'm not sure which is which, I'll have to count, but um, I'm planning on sending one of you uh, a little you know, business book as a thank you for uh, signing up. So there's a, a little gift from Small Biz Pod. Um, Mike Cleary from New Milton, Barton-on-Sea. Uh, ben Moss from Manchester. Um, Soren Helstedt from Copenhagen, uh, Mike from London, uh, Raj Banger from Chatham, which is uh, in Kent, uh, John Dutton, thank you all for signing up, um, Dustin Senos, who's a 21-year-old business owner from uh, British Columbia in Canada, um, Jason Wallace from Great Malvern, who... Uh, has a rather nice picture on his uh, Frapper entry. 
uh, in front of David in Florence, if I can spot it correctly. So nice, nice to see your holiday snaps as well. Um, Antonino from Rome in Italy. Uh, Jess Craven, who runs a uh, family vacation rental in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So we really are stretching far and wide with listeners. So thanks, Jess, for that. Dean Whitbread from, um, amongst other things, UK Podcasters Association. Um, thanks, Dean. Uh, that's good. Um, Chris Ledden from Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. Carrie Anderson has a second bite at the cherry. I think she's been on before, um, former CBS journalist. Um, N. Tutti from Woodville in Texas. There's a bit of a bit of a Texan contingent listening to the show, so thanks a lot for that. And James Kenny, another Irishman from Dublin, uh, who doesn't have an entrepreneurial bone in his body, but does love the show and has a rubbish website, according to him. But I've taken a look at his website, which is jameskenny.com. Um, and he's actually a, an artist, and there's some, some, some interesting pictures there. I did, did some work for Tomb Raider, the uh, show... Yeah, you know, the, the video game. Um, and I, I've just named my daughter Lara, so new daughter Lara. So uh, there we are. There's a strange and weird and wonderful connection. James Kenny's um, sketches also uh, of people look a little bit like Schiller to me, if you're familiar with his work. But I don't think it's a rubbish website at all, James. So that is it. I've finally caught up. And now let's think about what tune from electromancer.com I'm in the mood for playing today. And it turns out to be an absolute classic. It's called Get Into Your Brain by Subliminator. A really superb track. And I hope getting into your brain is what this show does and what this track will do too.
Get into your brain. Get into your brain. Get into your brain. 